Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Disclosure. Nothing personal. Word of the day. It's Thursday, June 30th, 2022. And the word of the day is disclosure. And we're talking about Freddie Freeman, the first baseman for the Los Angeles Dodgers, and whether or not his agent actually disclosed an offer that was made to his client, Freddie Freeman, by his old team, the Atlanta Braves. I'd like to be talking about the Michael Douglas Demi Moore movie. That'd be good. But disclosure is the, the rule, the job. When you're an agent, let me take a minute and try to frame the issue here because everyone's going crazy about this. They're looking for Casey Close's head, and Casey Close is no friend of mine, acquaintance. He was Derek Jeter's agent. He is a very successful agent who has a lot of big-name players, and his reputation is being impugned all over the globe because... There was a tweet by someone saying that actually, believe it or not, it's almost crazy to say, right? When I tell you how things really work, but it's crazy to say that Casey Close never told Freddie Freeman about the Braves' final offer. Freddie Freeman found out only now that the Braves made a final offer, and then he said, oh my God, how could you not have told me you're fired? because word had come out that Freddie Freeman has moved on from his agent. So now let me step back to winning a World Series as a pending free agent. You celebrate, you go to the parade, then five days after the World Series, you are free to talk to anyone. During post-World Series euphoria, as a front office, you go to your free agents and you start the conversation one way or the other with them. And I can tell you from personal experience, we told Pudge Rodriguez after 2003, the great, one of the greatest catchers, if not the greatest catcher of all time in Major League Baseball, apologies to Johnny Bench but, and Carlton Fisk, but I'll put Pudge right there on the Mount Rushmore of catchers. We're not going to be able to resign you, period. Go get paid. He came back to us with what Detroit was going to offer, saying, if you match it, I want to be a Marlin again. We could not afford to bring him back. We said, be a Tiger. We love you. You are a Marlin forever. We are forever together. Done, done, done. Then there's free agents who you negotiate with, and you're going back and forth during the course of their free agency. You may start... The year before, it may happen a little bit during the season, though I didn't like to negotiate during the season. And the way negotiations work with your best players, with your franchise players, is that you send a actual written offer 
to the agent of the player. In that written offer, which is you sign it, and there's a space for the agent to sign because they've got signing power for the player. You say how many years, what the money is, what the extra benefits are, whether or not there's a suite on the road as an example, what the bonuses are for World Series MVP, whatever the basic terms are of your free agent offer, you send it over, and then the agent calls you, says, we're going to reject that. Here's what we're looking for. Then there's another discussion, another set of negotiations. You send over another offer. Then the agent replies, no on this, yes on this. They may counter in writing, they may counter orally. And then the team decides, are you gonna counter again orally? Are you gonna submit another written offer? Because every time you submit an offer, it's an actual offer. It's a contractual offer that can be accepted. You always say pending physical so you can get out of it, but it really is a, a binding offer. We would never make an offer to an agent that our player did not know about. Never. There is not a team out there who is negotiating with a free agent, their own free agent, who is not communicating with their own free agent. There are plenty of times that you make offers for free agents on another team where you are dealing exclusively with the agent and you are waiting to meet with the player in person or speak to the player in person and you may not give that offer to the player directly. But when you want to sign a free agent, you're speaking to players on your team who know that player and communicating that you want that player so the player knows of your interest, making sure the agent is properly communicating with his player. And that's for a player you don't have. For a player you do have, 100% of the time, Freddie Freeman, who I've known for a long time, there is not one scenario under which Freddie Freeman did not know what the Atlanta Braves were offering. Not one. And there's one guy, an irresponsible guy, all of a sudden tweets a story saying that Casey Close, and I'm not Mr. Pro Agent, as you know, but one guy tweets a story that the agent never communicated with Freddie Freeman, the great, nice guy, Freddie Freeman, and the interweb goes crazy, off with his head. Everybody should leave Casey Close. He made the D Freddie Freeman go to the Dodgers because of his other client, Clayton Kershaw. Horse hockey. Freddie Freeman wanted six years and the Braves wanted to give him five. Hard stop. Freddie Freeman thought that the Braves would not move on without Freddie Freeman. Freddie Freeman thought the Braves would give in and give him the sixth year. Freddie Freeman thought they would want to defend their title and run it back. Freddie Freeman and Casey Close overplayed their hand and got bailed out by the Los Angeles Dodgers who offered him the sixth year. It was always an issue of the sixth year. The Dodgers offer him six years, whatever he signed for. Call it six years, 162. He ended up signing with the Dodgers. When a free agent player gets an offer from a team, it doesn't matter which team, because even if it's re to return to your old team, they're going to shop that offer because they're trying to get a dollar more from a different team. Always. Hometown discount my ass. The Dodgers offer 6-162. They go back to the Braves and say, hey, you got to beat 162. The Braves say, listen, 
We offered you 140 for five years. That's where we are. And Freddie Freeman said, but wait a minute. All right, I'll go off my sixth year. But to do that, you got to beat the 162 because I'm going to make 162. How about if you give me five years, 162.5? And the Braves said, no, we can't go above 140. We're not going to go above 140. Well, what about six years? Will you do that? I'll do six years, 175. And the Braves said, six years, 175. That's an extra $35 million from five years for a sixth year where there's zero chance you're going to be productive. No. Freddie Freeman said, okay, I'll go to the Dodgers. Could someone explain to me how they believe that Freddie Freeman got wronged because he went back to Atlanta and got emotional and cried because he missed Atlanta? When players fire agents, it is when agents overpromise and underdeliver. It's when players think they're signing something and end up signing something else because they're too ridiculously disinterested to actually read what they're signing. It's when they feel they don't want to pay the 5 or 10% anymore because they are done. Freddie Freeman still is paying to Casey Close the exact commission on this entire six-year 162. You don't get to not pay your commission because you fire your agent after signing a long-term deal. So for those of you who think that's how it works, negative. The commission, the full commission for that deal will go to Casey Close and XL Sports Management. Trying to prove a point? Was that what Freddie was doing? I'm so angry I ended up a brave... I ended up a Dodger, excuse me, cut that, four, six, nine. I'm so angry I ended up a Dodger. I really wanted to be a Brave. Casey, I told you I wanted to be a Brave. It was in writing that I didn't want to leave Atlanta. We had phone calls that I didn't want to leave Atlanta. But Freddie, you also wanted six years. But Casey, you told me that they'd give me six years. I thought they'd give you six years. They're not budging. What do you want to do? We told the Braves we will not sign for five years, 140. Then don't. This happens all the time. Players say they won't do something, and once in a while, owners actually stand their ground. Once in a blue moon, they call the bluff of the player. And some players are so proud that even if it's what they want, they will turn their back on what they want just to show that they've got the power. This isn't an example of the union. There's plenty of these examples of the union telling a player, don't sign that deal. That's way under market. We're not going to let you do it. No, but I really want to play at home for $10 million less every year. Yeah, don't sign that. No, come on, please, union. No, you may not sign that. I'm signing that. There are arguments that go on within the union between the players and union management because the union doesn't actually care about players being happy. They just want the highest salaries as possible on the book for each positional category. You're a seventh inning reliever and you wanna be close to your child and you're the best, you've gotta get $8 million a year even if you have to commute across country. Are there examples of players who take hometown discounts? That's a question I get asked all the time. 
Why won't he take a discount? He loves Miami. It's so close to the Dominican. They all say they want to play in Miami. I bet that they'll take a discount. Folks, that does not exist. Find me a player. Find me one player. Maybe there's one. Just find me any player you think took a hometown discount. And I don't blame them for that as president of a team. I know they've got to earn as much money as they can because their careers are so much shorter than my career, let's say, or anybody who works till they're 60 or 70 or 80. These players have from 26 to 36. A 10-year career if you're lucky. The average MLB career, you don't even get to arbitration. So I've never blamed players who take the last dollar. I've only tried to explain to you why they do. And don't give me back an argument that Freddie Freeman's already made a ton of money. Why does he need to take the last dollar? It's not even worth an answer. Just because someone is wealthy doesn't mean all of a sudden they give things away. As a matter of fact, that's how they get wealthy because they don't give things away. Oh, you should be giving away more money. Why can't you make Amazon packages free? Because you're Jeff Bezos. Well, then I'm not going to be Jeff Bezos much longer. So get that out of your head. So for all of you waking up this morning, all of you who are incredibly misinformed about what happened with Freddie Freeman, Casey Close actually had to give a statement, which... Only he did because of the internet and social media because he was being sullied everywhere. He said Doug Gottlieb tweeted a wholly inaccurate characterization of our negotiations with the Atlanta Braves on behalf of Freddie Freeman. We are immediately evaluating all legal options to address the reckless publication of inaccurate information. Then there is legal words. <laughs> He's not going to sue Doug Gottlieb. It, there's no players who are going to leave Casey close. The way you would be successful, the way you're successful in a lawsuit like that, you have to prove that you had an outflow of clients who all of a sudden read that you don't talk to your player about offers and they say, I really don't want to be your, I don't want you as my agent anymore. And they're all pre-arbitration players who Casey Close has invested money in. And then he starts getting paid once the players start making more money and they disappear on him because of this tweet. He then can go prove damages and say, hey, this actually had a deleterious impact on my business. But there is not one player who read this article, not one, who read the Doug Gottlieb tweet and said, ooh, that's what happened. Freddie Freeman had no idea. If you are Alex Anthopoulos or Terry McGurk, the president of the Braves, you don't think that you're calling Freddie Freeman to make sure as a final final, he's aware. You don't think that I called Dan Ugla before we traded him to say, hey, it's David. Are you aware this is our last offer before you say no to it? Every player who has been with your team, forget for 10 years, for two years, is getting a call. We call players in arbitration. I called players who were in arbitration negotiations. They weren't even going anywhere to make sure they were clear that if they didn't take our last offer, we were going to arbitration with them. Are we clear? Are you communicating with your agent? Do you understand the words that your agent is telling you? We will not settle. We are a file to go team. If we file against you, we are going to arbitration hard stop. We will not budge. You're not getting a fifth year guaranteed. Period. For crying out loud, I did Christian Yelich's contract with Christian Yelich directly in an office in Jupiter. 
It is so absurd to think that a player like Freddie Freeman was not in communication with his GM or president. It's just, it's, it is beyond ridiculous. So everybody breathe. Everybody stop. Freddie Freeman is a Dodger for one reason. They were willing to go to six years and offer him the most dollars, period. As president of a team, I have access to the players. Obviously, I work with them every day. So, of course, there's going to be communication. Do you know who I didn't speak to every day? Our limited partners. Jeffrey Loria owned 95% of the Marlins, and there were five guys who owned a percent each. I'm talking about new partners, the old Canadian partners, that was a whole separate thing. They owned a bunch of the team and then they didn't. And then they tried to get a bunch back and they didn't succeed. And at the end of the day, they were bought out and then five new partners came in. They were actually were together at one point, but anyway, who I don't speak to every day are limited partners. There's something going on in Tampa right now that is very familiar to me and I want to explain to you because you have a question about it. You know what I want? <laughs> I want to talk to Samson. So you want to talk to Samson. Get in my Twitter at David P. Samson. I've got Friday voice today, Coca. We are recording extra shows this week, and I'll be doing extra shows on top of that with Labatard, a bunch of other podcasts, a bunch of CBS Sports HQ. My Friday voice, if you listen to shows like Friday versus Monday, it's what happens. I need to drink more tea, Coca. I definitely do. Okay. Can you explain the lawsuit filed by the Tampa Bay Rays Limited Partners against Stu Sternberg? Could he be forced to sell? I love when you ask me about limited partner questions. All right. Background. The Tampa Bay Rays and Major League Baseball are owned by a partnership. Partnerships have limited partners and a general partner. The general partner, no matter how much that general partner owns of the partnership, is in charge of doing the business of the partnership. The limited partnership shares, whatever they are, they have certain rights, but the majority of action is taken by the general partner on behalf of the limited partners. That's the rules of the game. When you are a limited partner in a baseball team, you know the rules. You're going to be buying your own season tickets, but you're going to get access to the best. You're going to be having three to four meetings a year, quarterly meetings, sometimes twice a year, but usually quarterly. We're going to give you as the general partner some swag. You'll get a jersey with your name on it. You'll get an autographed ball. You'll get to go on a road trip and stay in the team hotel. You may even get to go on the team plane one time. You'll get access to playoff tickets, which you'll have to purchase. And you get to go around town saying you are an owner of the team. That's what being a limited partner is. You don't get a say in who gets drafted. You don't get a say in who gets traded. You don't get a say in who gets signed. You don't get a say in anything. Zero. What governs that? There is a document called the partnership agreement. Inside that partnership agreement are the rules that the limited partners have to live with. They are the responsibilities laid out in exquisite detail of what the general partner needs to do. Sometimes limited partners get angry. They get angry when they feel as though the general partner is not doing his job. 
The legal word for that is breaching his fiduciary duty because limited partners, because they have no control or no say, but they've got money invested in the partnership, they need to make sure the general partner is doing business on behalf of the partnership that is to the benefit of the whole partnership. There are rules about what the general partnership can do that only benefit the general partner. In most instances, there are certain things the general partner can do that benefits the general partner alone, but they are laid out. And if it's not laid out, you can't do it. So for example, if all of a sudden the general partner finds $30 million under the tree, miraculously, and decides to make a distribution only to the general partner of $30 million, that's not allowed. When you distribute money, you've got to distribute money to the partnership. If you own 10% of the partnership and they distribute $30 million, you will get $3 million, even if you're a limited partner. Oftentimes, the general partner only owns a very small part of the limited partnership, and oftentimes, the general partner is also a limited partner. So with the Marlins, Jeffrey Loria's general partner, as general partner, was a company called Double Play Company. That owned a tiny percentage of Florida Marlins LP. Jeffrey Loria, the individual, owned 90% of the limited partner shares, and a bunch of people owned 5%, etc. So there are lots of different ways. There's flowcharts and boxes and corporate sort of shells that go on. There's all sorts of, it's all for tax reasons, by the way. But at the end of the day, what you do for yourself, you've got to do for the limited partners. If you're making a distribution for tax purposes to cover phantom income, as an example, phantom income is something that many of you should be familiar with. That is when the government taxes you on money that they think you've made, but you actually haven't you don't have the cash. You only made it on paper. Phantom income is a nightmare for partnerships because you actually have to pay taxes and you don't have the money to do it. So you ask the general partner to distribute money from the partnership to cover the payment of those taxes. If the general partner wants to cover his own taxes, he can't do it. He has to distribute enough money to cover his taxes and the LP's taxes. So there's all sorts of things that go on between general partners and limited partners, and there's all sorts of frustrations. So there is the budget of the team. There could be a provision in a deal that says the limited partners have no say over the budget of the team, but if the partnership loses more than $10 million, then the limited partners get to vote on whether that budget can exist on whether you have to amend the budget. So you can put whatever provisions you want. There's another thing that you're not allowed to do when you're the general partner. You cannot change the corporate structure of your partnership without permission of the limited partners, unless that is in the document. And what kind of crappy document would allow a general partner to change the way the partnership is made to the benefit of the general partner? Who would sign such a document? <laughs> Spoiler alert, I know people. So in Tampa, the Tampa Bay Limited Partners have been very chirpy recently. They are claiming that for years, Stuart Sternberg, as general partner of the partnership, has done things to benefit himself only. They are accusing him of actually committing fraud, violating in Florida, they're in Florida, Florida's Unfair and Deceptive Trade Practices Act. That's just a legal way of saying, hey, you had rules by which you were supposed to play and you did not follow them. We are now suing you because we want to get rid of you as a general partner. 
Limited partners have the right to try to remove the general partner from the partnership, but it is a legal requirement that you follow a lawsuit, file a lawsuit, not follow, and you allege, here's why the partner, the general partner has to get removed. He's no longer acting in our best interest. Here's the five examples. Let us fire him and bring in someone who will take care of our interests too. They're claiming something amazing that Stewart did. They're claiming that the raise, let, uh, let me do two minutes of background, if you don't mind, on how teams are owned. I told you about all the entities. There's a general partner, there's limited partners. The general partner is also a limited partner. But there are also different buckets, different LLCs, which are limited liability companies. There sometimes are even partnerships within the partnerships. The franchise, like the Rays franchise, the Marlins franchise, that's often owned in a separate company. Then you have another company that runs your stadium. You may have another company that runs your other events. There are all sorts of different companies and it's done for tax purposes. That's the easiest way to describe it. Apparently what Stu Sternberg did is he took the actual Rays franchise, allegedly, and he put it into an entity that is different from the entity where the limited partners had ownership, which is pretty amazing. They're also claiming, because think about that, that means then what the limited partners thought they owned was a percentage of the bucket that had the franchise, all of a sudden they own a percentage of the bucket that has nothing in it. And the franchise is in a different bucket that they don't actually own anymore. Insanity if he did that. It can't be. They're also alleging that he never bothered to disclose the fact that in their new TV deal, they received a $300 million payment, like an upfront payment. When I was negotiating a TV deal with Fox Sports, we always talked about getting money up front to help pay for the losses. In 2005, we got money up front to help sign Carlos Delgado. When we, and we signed a 15-year deal in return for that. A terrible 15-year deal, but it had a lot of cash up front. That's why the Marlins needed a new TV deal for 2020, which they got, which was not even close, which is why Jeter got fired, because their TV deal was not even close to what we offered to give Jeter before selling to him. But I digress. That's a little nugget for you. But with these TV deals, teams want upfront payments because they want to have cash around to either pay down debt or to have operating cash what the Rays minority partners are saying, the limited partners, is that we didn't know this. You never told us that we got $376 million. <laughs> Guess what? It can't be. And do you know why it can't be? Because limited partners have rights to see audited statements. Your audited financial statements have to include the entities and on top of that, in the entity's financials, those type of payments have to be reflected. What's really going on here? 
What's really going on is these limited partners, like other limited partners, feel as though that Stu Sternberg is not trying to get a stadium built in Tampa. They feel as though Stu Sternberg could have sold the team for over a billion dollars pre-COVID. Now they're worried what they'll be able to sell the team for, whether or not the team can move, what the relocation fee would be, what contribution they need to make in a new stadium in Tampa. Maybe they don't want to be in St. Petersburg where the mayor came out yesterday and said, hey, we're going to try to do a deal for the Rays in St. Petersburg. Whatever the case may be, when your general partner does not have the strategic vision that you have as a limited partner, guess what? Too bad. It doesn't matter. The general partner, if he's acting in the best interest financially of that partnership and he's got a vision for your team that does not match your vision, including wanting to move the team from Montreal to Florida, including selling the team out of Montreal and buying Florida, there's nothing you can do. You can file whatever lawsuits you want. You can go to arbitration all you want. You can try to remove the partner all you want. And you think MLB is going to support that? You think that a court of law is actually going to find that Stu Sternberg was acting not in the best interests of your 9%? You think he was sacrificing his 90% to try to screw your 9%? You think that he doesn't have the right lawyers, the right advisors saying, hey, by the way, be careful. You shouldn't do that. But then he does it anyway. It's not how it works at all. I have not seen the Tampa Bay Rays partnership agreement. I've known Stu Sternberg since the day he started in Tampa. Stu Sternberg will only sell when he's ready to sell. He will not be removed. There is no way that this lawsuit will even have a possibility of prevailing. But it is interesting to watch. All right, where are we, Coca? Ah! Oh, God, we're going to take a break. I watched a movie Uh, a documentary about the Boy Scouts. We have to talk about it. And today I'm going to watch a Coca suggestion, a series called The Bear on Hulu. It's eight episodes, half hour each, so four hours. I'm going to somehow get that in. I'll get that in, Coca. I'll review that tomorrow. If you haven't watched The Bear, check it out so we can talk about it tomorrow. But for now, we're going to review what I watched, which is Boy Scouts of America. It's called Leave No Trace. And then we're going to talk a little more baseball because there's another story going on that we have to mention. All right, we'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we're back. Thank you for making it through that gauntlet and for following. When you get on Apple, if you're listening to this on Apple, please hit the follow button. I We love coming to you every day. We're going to be back tomorrow. I think we're not going to be here Monday, July 4th. And then we're here a couple days next week. 
I'll talk to you next week about my plan. But my plan involves a crazy plan in Africa in the month of July. But we got a show tomorrow. We got a show today, which means I'm watching movies. There's a movie called Leave No Trace. Not the one with Ben Foster. I'm talking about a documentary. And I'm trying to decide as I was putting the show together with Coca what to say about this movie. It is about the Boy Scouts of America and the fact that it was a haven for pedophilia. If your child was a Boy Scout, there's a decent chance your child got abused by his Scoutmaster. It is so upsetting to me. I watched this movie fuming. You know, as angry as I am with the pedophilia in the church, as angry as I am with pedophilia anywhere, I could say something unbelievably horrible right now, and I don't know that I want to, except I want to give you an idea of where it stands in my mind. I'm not sure there's anything worse than pedophilia. And I don't mean to be disrespectful to all the bad things out there. When you send your child to church, when you put your child in the Boy Scouts, when you sign your daughter up for gymnastics, when you send your child to school, I grant that you expect that child to be safe and not to be shot. But above all, what's in your head is that you expect your child not to be sexually assaulted and sexually abused. Is that fair to say to all the parents out there? I'll talk on behalf of me. When I sent my three kids to school, maybe it's because how, how lucky I am. I never thought about, hey, I hope they don't get shot. And I was in Florida, near Parkland. I always said to myself, please, please make sure that my two daughters and one son do not get sexually assaulted. When I sent my kids to camp, I said the same thing. And this is a camp that had a tragedy at it 40 years ago where someone had drowned. But the first thing in my head was not, I hope my child doesn't drown. I hope my child doesn't get run over by a ski boat or eaten by a bear. It is, I want my child to be safe. I expect my child will be safe. It would not even occur to me that my child won't be safe. It's like the number one thing that you say is definite. It's not happening. Send your kid to religious school. So all these Boy Scout masters, these adults, they'd go away on trips with their Boy Scouts and they would touch them and they would violate them. And here's the piece de resistance. The Boy Scouts of America knew about it. The Boy Scouts of America kept files on people where there had been complaints. And these people, like the priests, just would be assigned to a different church. Sometimes not even, sometimes they were allowed to say, stay with their troop. And these little boys who grew into men, troubled men, were left to fend for themselves and couldn't. We're left to understand why is this happening? Is this normal? Is this what being a Boy Scout is? I can't tell anyone who would believe me. This pillar of my community, this Scout Master 
is penetrating me and I can't tell anyone because who the hell would believe me? There is no hell hot enough for men who do this. There is no death bad enough and drawn out long enough for these men. There is no penance. There is no explaining. There is no defending. The number of lives ruined by the Boy Scouts of America organization for letting this continue for decades is going to make you angry and sick. You got to watch it, though. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement, but you got to watch it. If for no other reason than to make sure you're paying attention as best as you can. Okay. Uh, let's do the nothing personal pick of the day. God, we lost in 10 innings. That was ridiculous. We're 74 and 63. The Jays lost in 10 innings to the Red Sox. Six to five. There's nothing you can do. When you once once it goes to extra innings, it's just a crapshoot. All right, there's a big series starting tonight, the Padres and the Dodgers. And I'm pretty excited about that. Joe Musgrove is going. Joe Musgrove is no longer the favorite for the NL Cy Young because, as I told you, he's not the best pitcher in the National League anymore because Tony Gonsolin's better. Maybe it's not Tony Gonsolin. Now it's Sandy Alcantara of the Marlins, who pitched a complete game victory over the Cardinals yesterday, 4-3 to win. If you're not watching Sandy Alcantara every five days, then you're not paying attention to watching the best pitcher in baseball right now. But I'm going with Joe Musgrove. He's pitching the Padres against the Dodgers. When you've got Musgrove going and you're playing the Dodgers, you got to win this game. And I like the Padres. Padres over the Dodgers is my pick of the day. A nugget on basketball that some of you were talking about and that I had an opinion on because there's some misunderstanding here. Today is the day at 6 p.m. when free agency starts. We understand, and there's a conversation with uh, Lebetard on this today although not with Levitar, with Mike Ryan, the concept of tampering, the concept of why players start to negotiate with teams that are their own and others way before they're allowed to, why there's a rule like that is up for discussion. James Harden declined his $47 million option with the Philadelphia 76ers yesterday. For the last time, the reason he declined it is because he's going to get more money. When players accept the option like Westbrook did, they know they couldn't get more guaranteed money anywhere else. When players reject the option like Beal or Harden, they're going to get more money from someone else. It's not going to be $47 million per year. That's not the calculation that the players make. But David, one year of 47, isn't that better than three years at 90? No. 90 is greater than 47. But David, if he does one year at 47, he's then a free agent. All he has to do is get 43, wait, 47, 57, 67, 77, 87, 43. I was right. I should have known. Even with 10 minutes left in the show, my brain is still working. If he takes 47 million from the Sixers, but then gets a two-year, $43 million deal. Isn't that the same as three years for 90? So why wouldn't he take the 47 
and then betted himself to get the 43 over two. I'll tell you why. James Harden isn't worth 20 million over two, and he knows it, and his agent knows it. So the conversation that happens between an agent and a player, unless you're Scott Boris, where you mislead your players to what your player's worth, is that you say, and no, I'm not selling you, Scott, that's what you do. You overestimate, and then sometimes you get caught. Other times you get bailed out by owners, but generally you get caught. James Harden went around with his agent. They tried to get more than $47 million, more than what Harden thought he was worth, and all the teams said no. Therefore, he opts out of the contract or opts in according to the information. In this case, he was told by the Sixers, hey, opt out of the $47 million. We will re-sign you. You'll get more than $47 million, and you're going to help us with our salary cap, which will help us get better, which can help you win your first title. Wait a minute, that sounds good to me. Are we sure we have a deal? Yes. Can we announce we have a deal? No. You have to say we decline the option, then we'll resign you. You want to wait to see? I'll give you a wait to see. James Harden is going to resign with the Sixers. No one else is going to pay him more money but the Sixers. That's why he declined the option. Hard stop. Okay? Official wait to see, Coca. All right, I want to talk about politicians a little bit and antitrust. Don't hang up. We got, got six minutes left. I want to explain something to you that's going on right now, and you may have read about it. There's a lot of talk about the Supreme Court, a lot of talk that we've done on this show, not just about the Supreme Court, but about what's going on in Washington. We've talked about hearings that the House Oversight Committee does with the commanders. We've talked about all sorts of things politically related. There was a news story yesterday, the day before, that Washington, D.C., our legislative branch, is again taking a look at MLB's antitrust exemption. And people try to write about it. People try to talk about it. Let me give you some talking points you can understand. Antitrust is to protect you, the consumer. It is to ensure that there are no monopolies. I'm going to talk in general generalities. So for all of you attorneys out there, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to everybody else. Antitrust law is made so that consumers are protected from a, not, a monopoly saying, we're going to do it my way or no way, my way or the highway. You're going to like what I charge because you need the product that I'm selling and I get to charge whatever I want because you have nowhere else to go. Well, we're going to make some laws that say you're not allowed to do that. MLB was granted an antitrust exemption because there was a ruling in 1922 that base, regarding baseball and interstate commerce, but none of that matters. What matters is that there are politicians now from Bernie Sanders on the left to Republicans on the right who believe that MLB should not have an antitrust exemption because they believe that MLB is using their antitrust exemption to hurt, to act as a monopoly, and to hurt consumers. Who are the consumers? Minor league players. How are they being hurt? They're not being paid enough money. How often have you heard the story about minor league players? They don't have good enough housing. They're eating Big Macs. They're, they're, they're not paid enough. They're paid below the poverty line. How many times did people on the left stand up and say, hey, we're going to protect minor leaguers. It's outrageous. They're contracting teams. They're not allowed to do that. It's all because of their antitrust exemption. Horse hockey. 
This is an absolute red herring, folks. Do you know what will happen if Major League Baseball wants to, with or without its antitrust exemption? Because we talked about it all the time. You know what we can do and there's nothing you can do about it? We'll just get rid of the minor leagues altogether. See you later. All you guys who work in minor league baseball, bye-bye. All the players who are not making enough money, who don't like the food or don't like the housing, good luck finding another job. See you later. We're going to have one team of 25 guys all full of our prospects, and we'll pay that. We'll pay those guys plenty. Don't you worry. Major League Baseball has the final say over what minor league baseball will look like. That's why Major League Baseball took over minor league baseball because they were tired of another organization saying, here's what you have to do. No, we don't have to do that. We don't have to have 140 minor league teams. We don't have to have four teams per team, four minor league teams per major major league team. How many times do I have to tell you how many non-prospects are on these teams? All of these non-prospects complaining about their plight. Go, Zeigesund, have fun. You think that Major League Baseball is going to be strong-armed into all of a sudden paying more money? But they announced it for PR. Good on Rob and, and Dan and everyone in Major League Baseball for giving small raises and then announcing them by percentage how what a great raise they gave to the players. They're providing them housing and better food and better meals. Who cares? It's a pittance. You're going to threaten their antitrust exemption? which enables them basically to control who gets to own a team and who doesn't. That's one of the major things. Where teams get to play and where they don't, that's really the part of the exemption they need, want, and like, and will protect. But what's going on now is that politicians, because that's what they do, the Senate Judiciary Committee, they are now questioning the legality of the antitrust exemption, and they did it by sending a letter to the guy who runs that minor league advocacy place. I get what he's doing. I don't blame Harry Marino for trying. But he said minor league players are far and away the group most negatively impacted by baseball's antitrust exemption. Harry, are you kidding me? He continued, MLB owners should not have a special license to underpay their workers. They don't need a special license to get rid of those workers. That's me. We are confident that Congress will recognize as much through this process and ultimately repeal baseball's antitrust exemption as it relates to issues concerning minor leaguers. That's an important part of the subject. Are you aware that what Harry is asking is that the antitrust exemption is repealed as it relates to minor league baseball, that little carve out. Good luck with that. Don't overplay your hand when you are advocating for a group of people. I am all in for trying to get as much money as you can from your bosses. I'm in. But you have to understand what happens if you overplay your hand. You're going to lose your job and you better have a replacement. I talk to players about this all the time. You're gonna ask for six years and you're not gonna budge? You may not get it. And then you may have to settle for what we call the pillow deal, the one-year deal, the three-year deal, the five-year deal. What the minor league advocacy group is doing by riling up these politicians, you think baseball is just gonna sit back and say, you're right, repeal the exemption, we're good. No problem. 
you'll end up costing minor league players jobs. You'll end up costing cities teams, and there won't be one damn thing that you'll be able to do about it. So be careful what you wish for, because for Major League Baseball, it's just business. This is nothing personal. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.